0: Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. The most recent COVID-19 numbers for this country, wherever you're listening in Canada, 107,346 is our total. 220 new cases today. These numbers are a few hours old. Uh, 8,773 people have died. 14 new deaths. Where I have real problems, if we want to look at the Chinese number, the numbers from China. So we're supposed to believe that our country, with um, 37 million people, and China, with more than a billion people, uh, China is reporting 83,587 cases. So, approximately, what is that? Um, 25, 30,000 fewer cases than this country. And uh, two new cases vis-a-vis This country's 220 new cases. Hard to believe anything China is saying. If you have uh, been watching the Netflix documentary on uh, on the pandemic, it's been it's it's been on uh, on on available for some months. Uh, you have become aware of Dr. Jacob Glanville who is a member of the U.S. Congressional COVID-19 Rapid Response Task Force. He's also the president, founder, CEO of Distributed Bio, whose company is working on a universal vaccine against viral infections, and uh, who said in March in an interview his company was weeks away from developing a treatment to neutralize coronavirus through injection of antibodies. This is all very, very interesting. Given the fact that we're going to be stuck with this coronavirus for some period of time, conventional wisdom seems to suggest at least five years before a vaccine is uh, is developed. Dr. Glanville joins us on the uh, Roy Green Show on the Chorus Radio Network. Dr. Glanville, thank you very much for the time.
1: Thank you for having me on.
0: So for those who haven't watched the uh, pandemic documentary, your company, Distributed Bio, is working on engineering a therapeutic antibody to con- combat the coronavirus. In layman's terminology, what does that mean?
1: Right. So the coronavirus, if you were to zoom in on it, with a powerful microscope, you would see it surrounded by a set of spikes. And the virus uses those spikes to stab uh, into our cells, inject its genetic payload, and infect you. Uh, what antibodies do is they block those spikes, and that has the effect of neutralizing the virus so it's no longer infectious. You can make antibodies in two different ways. One is through a vaccine where you inject small pieces of the virus and you wait many weeks for that person to hopefully produce some antibodies against those pieces of the virus that will then block the virus. The other way to do it is to skip that whole process and directly produce the antibodies. So you don't inject little pieces of the virus like a vaccine. Instead, you just inject a very potent antibody into the patient. The advantage of that is that it works immediately. And so you can give it to people who are already sick. The reason that my team has been working on this is that we feel that that's a really critical part of the pandemic crisis. It's not the 80 to 90 percent of people that, aren't, that don't get that sick. It's the ones that have to go to a hospital and are at risk of death. Those are the ones we need a treatment for, and antibodies are an excellent choice for an effective therapy.
0: How close are you to the finished product?
1: Yeah, so we've made a lot of progress, but there's still work to be done. We have sent our antibodies out to five laboratories across three nations, and they all confirm that they are ultra-potent in their ability to neutralize the novel coronavirus from being able to infect human cells. We also have two different laboratories. There are national laboratories in the United States, the Department of Defense, U.S. AMRID, and the Galveston National Laboratory in Texas. They both show that hamsters who normally can get infected by the COV-2 virus and they get COVID-19-like symptoms... If they receive our antibody, either as a treatment, they're protected. They have a 97% reduction in virus in their lungs, and the lung pathology resolves. And you can also give it as a prophylactic, like a preventative, for any hamsters who receive our antibody in advance, and then they're exposed to the virus. They don't get sick in the first place. So that's really good news for, for hamsters. But uh, the next steps are we need to go run human trials. So where we are right now is our antibodies are in manufacturing. They're being produced at a quality sufficient to, to, to give to human patients. And we're looking at doing two different types of trials, one starting in September and the other starting at the end of the year. And those trials are pretty fast, but they take time. Right? If everything runs smooth, we would have an antibody therapy by the end of the year, uh, ready for mass distribution um, by, by the holidays.
0: And how expensive is it when, when, you've got the, uh, when you have the, uh, the final product? Because some of the drugs that are being uh, made available now, which have, perhaps have some positive influence, are terribly expensive. How, how expensive is yours?
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that. I think that's a, a major problem with access, right? It's not its not just do we make a medicine that works. It needs to be accessible to the world, and the economics of the medicine, how much it costs, is a critical part of access. It won't do us any good to make a medicine that works, but it's so expensive that most of the world can't use it. That will not get us out of this crisis. Uh, with the, the problematic example of the remdesivir that was priced at over $3,000 for a single patient, even though it costs cents to produce the drug. So with antibodies... It costs about $100 a dose to produce the drug. Historically, companies like to charge three to eight thousand dollars a dose to treat people. So that's all corporate profit. Uh, our our intention is to sell our our medicine for less than an iPhone. So that we don't know the exact price yet, but somewhere in the 300 to 400 dollar range, that, that provides enough corporate profit that we can keep the you know the the wheels turning. It, it's above cost of goods, and, it, and critically, it's not exorbitantly expensive, so that that's affordable globally. Uh, we furthermore suggest that nations should consider subsidizing these medicines because if they, they consider the amount of money that they're venting out of their economies on a daily basis, the, the cost of subsidizing a medicine, which is already cheap, is a drop in the bucket. And, and we, we would encourage nations to consider that.
0: Now, you're a, st- you're, you're a startup. You, you started out uh, small and, uh, and, and really b- more far more lean than the major pharmaceuticals. How did you manage to put together what they haven't been able to
1: yeah, so yeah, we, we we're a little bit of a unique company. We bootstrapped since 2012. We never took on venture capital, so I'm not obligated to charge a lot for my medicines. And what we had was very good technologies for antibody discovery. So my team has got uh, 35 people now, and we do antibody discovery for a bunch of pharmaceutical companies. They come to us, and we engineer antibodies for them. We've done this on over 55 different antibody discovery programs. So I built up all the tools, and we had this new class of technologies. We're using computational methods to optimize antibody discovery, to do it faster and more efficiently. Kind of like how LED light bulbs are replacing the old incandescent, we had a better technology. And it was just good timing that I was already interested in in, uh, pandemic disease, and I was familiar with uh, a lot of the concepts and challenges around uh, viral inhibition with antibodies. And in January, when I saw the outbreak starting to become a significant problem in China, I decided we were going to apply our technologies to rapidly attack the novel coronavirus. Uh, historically, it's uh, always been a challenge where it, any drug, whether it be an antibody or a small molecule, it normally takes so many years to produce a medicine that they're all, always too late to arrive in time to treat an outbreak. And this has been true with Ebola, MERS, SARS, uh, you name it. The difference now is that these technologies have gotten faster and faster. And I am part of a, of a bigger world of Uh, golden age in biotechnology and my feeling was that with our technologies we could make a medicine in time to treat this epidemic it would be very potent and reasonably priced.
0: Share with us please what you're doing uh, as far as the creation of a universal vaccine is concerned to combat viral infection.
1: Yeah so in 2019 that was the subject of the Netflix documentary series they were interested in the work we were doing to develop a broad spectrum vaccine to treat all versions of of influenza so the flu is a it's another potential pandemic uh, virus we put up with it and we treat it like normal but we shouldn't it it kills a lot of people every year and it's globally disruptive it's the kind of thing that I, i hope that our children will look at as being as archaic as the plague and yet the reason we we have not eliminated it is that it changes enough every year that the vaccines become obsolete So what my team was working on was a a vaccine technology that would work broad spectrum to be able to teach the body to recognize parts of the virus that don't change from year to year that are resistant to mutation. So that your body would just get one shot and it would it would act like a tetanus shot. It would give you five years of protection against any type of versions of the virus. My project lead was Sarah Ives. and She and I have been working on this with the rest of my team for years. And the Netflix documentary was following us as we went through the process of getting um, proving that it works remarkably well in protecting pigs from future mutant versions of the flu, and we ultimately won a Gates grant for that that, uh, approach. This is an important technology, and in general, the technology, I would like to apply it not just to flu, but other rapidly mutating viruses. The reason I chose not to use vaccines for the novel coronavirus was, A, there are other groups that are already producing good vaccines. There are almost 180 vaccines that I'm aware of is in development. Some of them, I suspect, are going to work well. And they're going to be, at least a few of them, hopefully will deliver ahead of schedule and effective, which means early 2021, I'm anticipating some vaccines already being distributed. Uh, so I didn't think I needed to do that work. Also, the coronavirus doesn't mutate that much, so my technology may not be necessary. We're, we're monitoring to see if it mutates enough to justify our technology. Otherwise, we don't need it.
0: That's so oh, really Go ahead. No, go ahead. I'm sorry.
1: But I, what I thought was missing was an antibody therapy, because a the vaccine, even if we have a good one, first off, not everyone's going to take it. Uh, there's 30 to 50 percent of Americans who say they're not going to take a vaccine if it becomes available. And then second, no vaccine works 100 percent of the time. So Dr. Fauci said he would accept a vaccine that was 70 to 75 percent effective. The problem with both of those things, you add them up or you multiply them and then suddenly you don't have herd immunity. So we may be in a position where even if we have a vaccine, it doesn't stop the crisis. And so that's why I felt what we need is a therapy, that the crisis really is is a crisis of hospitals because it's very dangerous to get sick. Whereas if you have a therapy and you reduce that risk of being sick, then we could kind of return back to normal because most people will get sick and it's mild. The ones who, who where it gets serious, they get treatment and they're okay, And then the crisis
0: is over. Right. So, uh, final question, uh, you, uh, as far as funding is concerned, I know you're doing some crowdfunding, and what's the address there? How can, If people want to get involved and provide you some f- fiscal re- support, what do they do?
1: Yeah, so they can go to cintivax.com. That's our website. Um, we have received uh, over 1,000 donations from about 40 nations at this point, which we're very appreciative of. That helps us pay for the neutralization assays and the hamster studies. Some of that was subsidized by government, some of that is paid for by um, the people giving us crowdfunding. We are also talking to uh, governments, and we're talking potentially to partnerships with pharmas. And again, my my preference is I think government should pay for this, and the benefit of me doing that rather than going to venture capital is that uh, I I have the luxury then of charging like the Ford model, where you charge a, a percentage over cost of goods i think right. that is a viable business model and i think the advantage of not being greedy is that if you can make the medicine available all over the world that actually stops the crisis what will not stop this crisis is if people price the medicine so expensive that most of the world can't take yeah. it because we are all interconnected if, if this coronavirus pandemic has proven nothing else it's that there's no such thing as a disease somewhere else we're all connected to each other at this point in the right. modern world which means we need to operate according to collective goods to solve this problem together
0: Dr. Glanville, it's been a pleasure speaking with you. Thank you so much for the time. Centivex.com for people who want to help you with the crowdfunding.
1: Thank you very much.
0: All right. All the best to you. We're anxiously awaiting to see what the result is, if they have the antibody product, and says maybe in a year. Certainly getting a lot of reaction and a lot of response. Dr. Jacob Glanville, member of the U.S. Congressional COVID-19 Rapid Response Task Force. If you want to hear more,